Welcome to Let's Chew the Gum. I'm your host, Protocol. We're talking about a lot of things in this show while we chew the gum. And as always, on each and every show, we always have something for your mind. Welcome back to this edition of Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z and we chew the gum while doing it. Some folks say you shouldn't talk and chew gum, but here we beg to differ. We think it's okay to chew gum and talk. It gives you a little rhythm, it helps you to concentrate, and if a little fresh breath is a side effect, then that's okay as well. Today I have as my guest, Deborah Miniman. Deborah is a substance abuse counselor and also um, she has some certifications that we're gonna share and I dare not try to remember it because I don't wanna butcher it. But Deborah is a substance abuse counselor doing some great things for our society and we're glad that she's here today to share her experiences and her insights on how life was before and after COVID-19 and, and what that means for us during this process. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So I was, I was saying that there's a certification attached to your name and it's CARES is the acronym. Please explain to us what that's about. Yes, a CARES is a Certified Addiction Recovery Empowerment Specialist, um, and that is issued by the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse in Atlanta. Um, and so to qualify for that, you have to be a person in long-term recovery themselves, which I am for eight years, and um, and then you apply by sharing your experience, strength, and hope in a um, you write it down in the story, you send it to them, your story, and then they accept you. And once they accept you, then you go in for their 40-hour uh, class and you become certified. Um, and that really is doing, the peer work is doing some amazing um, advances in substance abuse right now. So um, I actually have been a CARES for three years, um, and I worked in the field as a CARES, and then I became certified as a substance abuse counselor after the fact because I wanted to further my education. So that's kind of where I am right now. I can work in either um, realm, really. I can work in peer or I can work in clinical. Um, but it's, it's a really... Um, strict, it's a funny boundary, you know, so you really have to watch um, boundaries on that because, of course, as a substance abuse counselor, you don't share your experience, strength, and hope um, with the client, but in the peer realm of it, you do. So the boundaries are, are, are really thin. Oh, I see. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you for 
your transition and and your decision to to take that route um that is to be uh applauded so i i applaud you for that um and it, it's interesting oh yeah for sure absolutely um, and again that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on the show i think it's an interesting story that a lot of people can uh, will find helpful the other thing was you talked about the balance between the peers aspect and the clinical aspect and i just i just wonder you know because individuals who are, are going through situations like this a lot of times there are very personal stories that are shared and, and i can understand in a peer setting you know the reciprocation of stories is a, a helpful thing and i just wonder about uh in you know in a clinical setting you know how difficult or, or are there certain tactics that you stay aware of so that you don't cross the line in sharing those personal experiences and expectations how, how, how do you go about that um ethics you know uh really i i have to i'm very ethical and i i really have to follow the ethical you know values and responsibilities as a substance abuse counselor and um with that being said you know you can share a bit and piece of your story with somebody or your experience with a client but you only do it if that is the, the last resort and you know that you're not getting through to the client and you want them to succeed. And um, sometimes it, it is a very powerful way to get through to the client. Um, but in most settings, you, you just don't open up and uh, share your experience. Um, you know, in my situation, I have a lot of experiences in my life, mm -hmm. um, so I relate to a lot of different people, and sometimes it, it, it gets a little bit tricky. That's kind of why I like to do the peer work as well, you know, um, because I can, I can totally share um, and, and provide hope. Be it's all about, right. you know becoming a hope dealer today and not a dope dealer you mm, know so right. um that's what i call myself today i'm a hope dealer so no i get that I, yeah I, I could imagine you know in, in a lot of fields um and in particular, when someone has, if they're a captive audience, for example, in my realm of, of teaching, I have a captive audience. My students have to be there. You know, sometimes uh, if it's a, in a substance abuse situation, if it's court ordered, that person has to be there uh, via a court order. And sometimes, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, how can you help me? You don't know me. You don't you don't know my life. You don't have these experiences. And just as in right. teaching, I think folks that have lots of life experiences, it makes them a better coach or a better teacher. And I just um, I could just imagine that some individuals you work with outside of the peer sessions might, you know, sometimes have that idea that, you know, they that you or other uh, counselors can't relate to them, but you definitely can because of your experiences. Um, how how have your experiences been um, so that it helps you to relate to the clients? Well, you know, I always tell people that you cannot look at somebody and tell what they've been through ever. And not only that, but everybody is going through something. So you, you have to understand that um so for me 
um, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism has been a part of my life since um, I was about 15 years old. Um, my mother was alcoholic, and so it was it was well accepted in in my life and in my family's life, um, and it made it easy for me to, um, you know, escape from my feelings and everything because living with an alcoholic, you know, mother, um, the family so dysfunctional, and there's not a whole lot of healthy communication, so there's always looking, you know, I was always looking for an escape, and so my escape was to drink and, you know, to smoke pot, and from there, they say it's not a gateway drug, but I'm here to tell you that it is, um, because for me, it led to, you know, a lot of other substances. My next addiction after that was cocaine, and that really took a big effect on, on my my family life with my husband and my children. Um, but then, you know, the next phase of it, I turned to prescription drugs. And so Xanax became my drug of choice. Um, and that really destroyed my second um, marriage. Um, and, you know, then after that fact, I got sober, I got clean. Um, and, you know, I was actually facing 15 years in prison because in a blackout on the Xanax, I, I almost killed my husband. Mm. Um, and that was a really difficult time in my life. But because I was court ordered to treatment, I got clean and sober. And that worked for a short time. And um, we got divorced. And I, I got off on the charges. Um and I met my third husband, and we got married. And three weeks into that marriage, um, I woke up and found him dead next to me. He had overdosed on opiates. Oh, wow. Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, he was um, a disabled veteran. Um, and three and a half weeks, uh, it was about two, two and a half weeks into our marriage, we went on a trip. We bought a new car. We were in a car accident on the way back, and it hurt him really bad to the point where they ended up putting him in ICU um, with internal bleeding. And the doctors came in. They didn't know that he was a recovering heroin addict, which, you know, the opiates are a big deal right now. Right. Um, and they put him on methadone for pain, and they sent him home with 80 pills. And, you know, a week later, he overdosed on them because he would keep them in his pocket. I didn't know he had them. He would just keep on taking them. And, you know, methadone doesn't work like heroin does. Um, you don't get the high that, that they get on heroin. So if they are taking methadone, they are trying to look for that same high. And that increase, they the, the, increase the dosage. And, uh -huh. Yes, right. And, you know, actually the coroner told me, um, you know, when he pronounced him um, deceased, when he pronounced him dead, they, the coroner told me that one of the symptoms of methadone, if they are taking it by themselves and nobody is giving it to them, they forget how many they take. Mm -hmm. So uh, he took 60 out of 80 in a week. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was. And so, but, you know, following that, 
um, I just kind of went crazy. You know, I didn't know what to do. Um, didn't want to go back on Xanax. Um, but um, I found methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, crystal meth became a big part of my life. And, and that actually led me to become homeless. And I lost my home. I lost everything that I owned. I lost the relationship with my kids. Um, I lost everything that I ever knew. So I could chase that drug. And um, I did that for six years. And they didn't know if I was dead or alive. I never called and contacted them and told them I was okay. That that mess really had me uh, just in, 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 I mean, I, I was chained, <laughs> you know, I was shackled. I couldn't get released from that drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in April of 2012, um, I made a decision that I choose life, and I was done, and I ended up being able to walk away from it with nothing except for my car. I did have my car, but everything that was of value was gone, um, and I went to detox. And from detox in 10 days, um, then I went to a treatment center, and I was in a long-term treatment center for homeless women that are addicted to drugs. And I remained there um, in treatment for a year, and then they put me in their supportive housing. And I was there for uh, an additional three years. While I was there, I I got breast cancer. Um, But I also went to college. I signed up for college and never been to college before. And I got my bachelor's degree. I graduated with that last year. Um, And now I'm in my master's. That's great. um, That's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've got a lot of experience, um, uh, life experience, and now I have the book, you know, the educational um, experience behind me as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's sometimes when you are helping a client in a clinical capacity, it's can be difficult not to say, hey, I get that. I've been there. Sure. You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. No, but like you said, you, you have ethics and, and then in your, your training teaches you what to say and, and where to go. It's it's um again, that that's a, a very. Um, it's a story that that's common and it'd be right. great if more people were able to come out on the other end in the fashion that that you were and and to be able to pursue it um from a different angle like you're doing now was there something in particular in april uh would you say of 2012 yeah it was actually on easter day uh-huh. um and so that's funny because easter this year fell on the 12th how about that so that was exactly eight years mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. and you yeah. just and you were just kind of done and 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 you were able to have the whereabouts to to say you know I really want to change or I need to change and 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 made that well happen. it wasn't really it wasn't really that cut and dry because mm-hmm. um you know previous to that you know I mean I'm I'm not a spring chicken I'm 57 I'll be 58 next month um but this was right before I was I was turning 50 um and I had um gotten busted with a meth pipe and that was actually my first um possession charge and that kind of gave me that wake-up call and 
uh, they would they put me on pretrial release until my case came up in court, and they would tell me and give me four weeks' notice as to when I had to go in and drug test, and I couldn't stay clean long mm-hmm. enough to go in there and drug test clean. Even with so four weeks' notice, knew, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I was also selling drugs, too, at this point, because that was my income. Um, and, you know, that's when they had all of the pill mills around. And I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, I, 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 I'm very familiar with those. But just for our audience, go ahead and, and give a, a bit of an explanation of what that is. Okay. So uh, what what we call a pill mill is. You make an appointment with this doctor's office. You go in there. You pay $200. You tell them that you have this problem, that problem, the other problem, and they give you two prescriptions when you leave. They give you less for me. They gave me one prescription for 125 OxyContin, and they gave me another prescription for 90 Percocet, 90 Xanax, and 90 Somas. Mm And, you know, this was right before the epidemic started mm-hmm. happening. And I, every month on the seventh of the month, I went in there and I walked out of there with a prescription for 550 pills. Um, and, you know, those were hot on the street. And, right. um, and you know, I would make two, three thousand dollars within hours. Sure. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's how I was making my money. And. So on top of getting that drug charge for the possession of the meth pipe, I was also, you know, having to move around from place to place, you know, hotel room to hotel room every month to sell my pills. And and so I would get robbed all the time. And um, the the final straw was I, I came to one day. I didn't wake up. I came to where somebody had um, roofied me. They had put some drugs into a coffee I was drinking, um, knocked me out, and they robbed me. And when I came to, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know anything about what had happened. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even remember where I I couldn't remember anything, nothing. Um, and that's when I made the decision. I, When I realized where I was, I said, that's it. I'm done. I can do this, and I, you know, and, and for me, um, my higher power, you know, God really got me out of that, and so um, I wasn't a spiritual person, but I clearly heard a voice say, come on, choose life, I'm with you, you can do this, mm-hmm. and I got up, and I was able to um, walk away from it. And and I never looked back. I I just I never looked back. That is that is that is outstanding, and I'm so happy for you. And you know, I I wish that that, and I hope my listeners and and I don't know if any of my listeners are in similar situations, but it's it's almost like all of us know someone in our family or extended family or, or friend network that are in situations like that. And so just being able to hear yeah. a story like that, you know, it gives, it gives hope. You know, I um, have had quite a few individuals in my life who were in situations almost exact to what you've described. And, and some of them have 
been able to transcend that and to to find their way out and and others did not and and some of them are you know either imprisoned or, or no longer here so again i just applaud you um just a quick reminder you're listening to let's chew the gum the podcast where we talk about everything from a to z while we chew the gum you can find this podcast on spreaker spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, feel free to send us an email at let's chew the gum at gmail.com or at protocol at gmail.com. That's P R O T K A L L. If you'd like to be a supporter of the show, feel free to visit us on Anchor, our home station, one of our home stations at www dot anchor dot fm slash protocol where you can find all of our previous episodes including this one and where you can also make a donation we're so happy to have today our guest deborah miniman substance abuse counselor and she's been so graciously sharing with us her intimate details of her story and her past as someone who had um issues with substance abuse and she's been able to transcend now to be someone that helps so now she's as she said dealing hope and not dealing dope so deborah as as you as you were able to transcend and not look back describe a little bit of the process um how did the process of going through the programs um help you and to to strengthen you and to, and to solidify you as someone that wanted to be a counselor for this how did that process help you well you know i think i was at that point where either i was going to prison or i was going to die and so with with that being said at the point i was at i made a decision within my mind that i was going to do whatever i was told to do because my way didn't work. I tried my way, and my way didn't work. And whatever somebody else that was a professional told me to do, I was willing to do. And so that's the mindset that I had going into treatment. And when I walked in there, I was extremely humble, and um, I was I was ready to, um, like I said, just do whatever they told me to do. And that's what I did. And um, so I was able, and, and it wasn't easy, um, you know, when I was detoxing, um, off of the drugs, you know, that can take up to two years to come off of meth to get your brain functioning properly. And mm-hmm. so for me, the amount of meth that I did every day, um, was, was a, a struggle coming, coming off of it. And. Uh, I was sick for probably about six months. Um, I think the counselors had bets on me that I wasn't going to make it, (laughs) but um, I was very strong-willed, and I really wanted to do something with my life, and I didn't know what, and I didn't know how. And so I had to give up everything. I had to give up every – when they say people, places, and things, you know, um, at the different 12-step meetings and stuff where they have to – you have to give up – all people, places, and things, and that's what I did. And I rebuilt a network of healthy people. You know, I would I would sit in the front every time we would do a group. I would sit in the front whenever they took us to a 12-step meeting. Um, I would sit in the front when they took us to church. And by doing that, I was able to listen to other people and 
when I heard somebody say something that I wanted, and I don't mean, you know, uh, financially or materialistically, but when I hear somebody say, I've got 12 years sober and this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm doing it, I want to know. And I want to know you. And so with that being said, my network is just huge, massive. Network has everything to do with you know, changing your life. Absolutely. Um, if, yeah, you have to have a big support system. And trust me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Anybody. It's just going to take some. You, they say that drug addiction, you don't use willpower. But you use willpower to make the choice. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be very strong-willed to make that choice and that decision that you are not going back to it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You that, definitely have to have to want it. That's that's important. Yeah, and that and that's how I got through it. That is really how I got through it. And you know, life isn't easy now, especially with the COVID nineteen. Um, you know, there's one of our biggest problems as people that were addicted to drugs and alcohol is isolation. And so now we're told we have to isolate and. But that's probably something that we could talk about at another time because, I mean, there's so many different ways now um, to stay connected, to get connected. You know, a lot of people that don't have um, the motivation to get up and go to a meeting, they don't have to do that anymore. They can pick up their phones and they can bring up Zoom. And they can pull up a social media such as, you know, like Facebook, and they could see all the Zoom meetings that are posted, and they could just get on one, and they don't even have to participate. They can just listen. And so, again, that takes a willingness to want to do that. But now now's the perfect opportunity for that. It really is. Let's um, talk about that. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, hopefully Deborah will stick with us and we'll be able to talk about substance abuse during the COVID-19. And what are some ways that you can still get help and not allow this virus to enable the substance abuse issues that many people suffer from? We'll be right back. Something for your mind. Thank you for listening to our sponsors. We're back with our guest, Deborah Miniman, substance abuse counselor. She's been sharing her experiences with us as someone who suffered from substance abuse and someone who now is helping to get others and to save others who are in that same situation. Before the break, Deborah, we were talking about substance abuse during the COVID-19. And while some people may uh, not use it, but why it may cause some others to suffer because of the fact that they can't get the supports or the fact that the COVID-19 brings upon stressful situations that may cause others to turn to substances. You were just speaking about the opportunities that individuals have with technology to still be able to get the help that they need, right? That's right. Um, you know, and, and first off, let me say this, it, it's there's a lot of relapse going on. There's a lot of using going on, um, you know, behind closed doors. So just let me say this. 
if you are looking for help and you need detox, there are detox centers that are open. They have not closed the detox centers. You just have to know, you know, where to call. And, um, you know, you could do that by going to SAMHSA, which is um, the government website. It's S-A-H-M-S-A. And if you pull up SAMHSA.gov, it will give you listings of treatment centers all over the country and the world. And it will also give you a list of detox centers in your area that you can call. Um, so that's important to know. And there's also a lot of resources on social media, such as Facebook. And I use Facebook because that is where all the connections are. There's a lot of groups on, on Facebook that have inside information that you might not know about. So, for, for example, I am close to Atlanta, so we've got an Atlanta recovery group. And if you, you know, just Google or just type in, you know, recovery group, and then whatever city you're in, put that first in recovery group, it's going to pull up a whole bunch of different um, Facebook pages that you could connect with. You know, and also there's, there's something that we have here in Georgia. It's called the Warm Line, and that was created by the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. But it is an 800 number, and I don't think that it works out of state. But I am sure that if you look up peer support in your state, if you Google that, it's going to give you different phone numbers. And I will... Absolutely double-check with the Georgia Council and see if they have um, access to any of the other peer support in any other state. Because uh, the warm line, you would call. It's open seven days a week. And, yeah, it's not 24 hours, but I think it's open until 11 o'clock at night from about 8 o'clock in the morning. And you can call, and it's confidential, and you could talk about what you're going through and they will help you with referrals to wherever or they'll just listen they'll just listen sometimes that's all we need is for somebody to listen absolutely i, I find that mm-hmm. sometimes when when you have issues and and you just need someone to listen oftentimes they don't necessarily have to say anything back but it it helps you to draw conclusions because you're expressing, you're not just having the a conversation or holding it in your head. And, and so that's important also just for someone to listen. It's, it's a, it's a great yeah. help really quick that the website you gave you, is it Shamsa S as in Sam H as in Harry A M S A. It's S A. Let me see. And I think it's, uh, let me look. Hang on just a minute. I'll look it up. No, no worries. While, while you're looking it up, I just wanted to make sure so people could find it. I, I wasn't sure if you had SAMHSA or SHAMHSA, but the idea that these uh, opportunities with technology um, are available, um, I hope people are able to take advantage of it because, you know, in this situation where there's social social isolation, it's it's easy to feel alone. And you hear that everything is yes. closing down and, and the fact that you're saying, hey, these centers are open still. That, that's a great help because this is a stressful time and, and lots of people are are stressed out and losing family members and losing life as we know it. And, and that could be 
definitely a trigger that um, that uh, we don't want people to have to, to go through. That's right. That's right. Um, it's so it's S A M H S A dot gov. There you go. S A M A S A. Okay. And and when you pull it up, you'll see it says rehab and addiction treatment. That's the first. Um, that's the first one that comes up. So yes, you click on that and navigate through. It's really easy. Um, that they may have made that navigation very easy as far as a, a resource that will help. Um, and definitely we'll find something locally or if not locally within the, the state that you live, Absolutely. you know, so you can get some help. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's a, that's a big help because again, as I said, if, if you, if you don't know the help is there, it, it's hard to find it. And so I'm glad you're here to, to be a resource for, for our listeners and for individuals who are listening that know someone else that, that needs the service. And, and then definitely for what you're doing in your, in your area. And so now you, you, you've, you've had these experiences and, and you've been able to come back from them and, and, um, you are, uh, received your bachelor's last year and you're working on your master's um, to continue to help individuals and you have your cares. Um, what is your, and I also have, a, Oh, a go ahead. I'm sorry. Say that um, one more time. So I'm certified. Um, I'm, I'm certified through the, um, the Georgia, um, addiction and drug um, certification board of Georgia. I call them abacadabra because <laughs> right. that's kind of what the you know the the letters are. But um, yeah, I'm certified through them um, as a, a certified addiction counselor level two, and you know for that I had to accumulate two thousand hours work hours, and I had to accumulate. My bachelor's degree, um, I had to complete that. And I also had to uh, do some uh, supervision hours as well. So I actually got accepted and sat for the exam in February, right before all of this happened, and I passed the exam. So I became certified right before, right as the, the, the virus was starting to affect mm-hmm. the world. Right. Um, you know, but, you know, as far as that goes, that, that's a, a big deal to me. Um, I've been working on that for the last four years. No, so. that's that's great. And and just everything you, you have added to you know, um, your list, you know, the credentials, I, all those are big deals to me. I, I'm just really so very happy to have have met you and, and to be able to share your story, because, you know, a lot of people who suffer again, it's, it's difficult to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel or and it's difficult for people to believe that not only that they can, you know, remove themselves from that environment, but that they can have a productive and meaningful lifestyle afterwards. And, and you've shown that and, and you're doing that. So that is, is very, uh, you know, motivational. And, and so that's again why I'm really so glad to be able to share your story here with our listeners. Well, thank you. I appreciate you so much um, having me share my story. I, it's really important um, for me to share because you know there everybody's going through something, and um, it doesn't matter if it's a drug or alcohol or uh, gambling or sex or whatever your addiction is. You know, there's help. 
there's help out there. Right. And I, um, yeah, and you can change. You can change, and it is not easy, but it is worth it. No, Your life is definitely worth it. Definitely, it is. It, it, you know, it's like I, I say to individuals who you know I've worked with individuals with with substance abuse issues or just all types of issues, and the, you know the one thing I tell them is you have to you know be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. And, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, um, the fact is it, it took some time to get into the situation. So expect that it's going to take some time to to be out of it. And, you know, you're a living testament to, you know, something I share with my my high school students and, and just people in general. And I, I always have them to, you know, forgive yourself for a lot of things because it's OK to have a problem. A lot of us have problems. I always say it's OK to have a problem. It's not okay to know you have that problem and not do something about it. Sometimes it's difficult and you want to do something about it. And and that's the start. You want to do something. You may fall back, you know, you may backslide, but ultimately you're making progress towards it. So the, you know, doing something about the problem is great. Right. And, and that's where the counseling comes in. You know, that's where professional counseling comes in because everybody suffers from trauma um, and, you know, especially drug addiction and alcoholic um, trauma is, is the biggest trigger that there is. And chances are that you suffered trauma and that's when your addiction or your alcoholism took off. And um, so dealing with that, dealing with the, the grief, the trauma, um, the forgiveness, um, especially learning how to forgive yourself first because you can't forgive anybody else until you forgive yourself. And it's not an easy process. Um, it takes work, but if you have the time and you're willing to do it, all the help that you have out there, it, there's so much help available mm-hmm. um, for that. But you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. There's a lot of trauma out there. I've suffered from a lot of trauma. I'm recovering from, you know, mental health as well as addiction. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for um, counseling. Definitely, yeah, and it's absolutely. not a weakness. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that, that it's not a weakness, because oftentimes people feel like, you know, if I if I seek counseling or if I have to ask for help, that somehow that's a weakness. And I tell them, no, that's 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 a strength when you can admit it, you know, when you can be humble enough and and you show humility that that's a strength. It takes strength to be humble. It takes strength to admit faults. And so, you know, I like to applaud folks who do that and let them know, no, that that's a strength. It's okay, You know, even even folks I encounter when, when I when I don't know that they're going through something, I, I just always assume, like you said, everyone's going through trauma of some sort. So it's my assumption when I have an audience that I'm, I'm letting them know that, you know, it's a strength. Again, it's OK to have a problem, not OK to not do something. If you need help, seek it. That's a strength that says a lot about your character, because, you know, like in my classes, I tell students, um, you know, it's OK if you don't know everything. Because if you knew everything, why would you be in class? Why would you be in school? We're here because we don't know everything. So don't be ashamed at what you don't know. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. People need to know that it is a strength. Yeah, yeah. Be, re, be vulnerable. 
you know, that's that's the biggest thing is be vulnerable and it's okay. There you go. And and you and and as you know, we have to do our part to help uh, to create those environments where people are willing and feel okay to be vulnerable because so often they've come from environments where, you know, if I'm vulnerable, someone's going to take advantage of me. If I'm vulnerable, I'm weak. If I'm vulnerable, you know, I'm going to be, you know, punked or whatever it may be. And so, you know, just like in my classrooms, you know, we established day one that this is a safe place for everyone. I don't care who you are. This is a safe place. And in our schools and in our society and our, our justice systems, people need to understand and feel with all legitimacy and reality that, you know, there are safe spaces where you can go. And and that's so important. Yes. And, you know, today there's, there's over 25 million people in recovery. So now is the safest time for people to come forward. Um, there, there's more help now than ever, ever. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I, I know that, you know, in, in some ways the United States is, not on the, the back burner or the last, but, you know, there have been many countries before that have moved to components to where they um, uh, take an approach to treatment as opposed to prosecution. You know, for, for many years and in some instances still, it's been about prosecuting, arresting people, um, labeling people, taking away their livelihoods because now they're tagged with felonies and whatnot, as opposed to people receiving treatment. And then people's perception of, you know, drug use as as a a criminal activity or is it some an illness, you know, abuse or or, or, sorry, addiction as an illness. And so the transition that we've been going through, as you said, now it's one of the more safer times in our history to where, you know, people are showing empathy uh, to individuals and being sympathetic to what they're going through to provide help as opposed to prosecution. Um, so again, another message that needs to to get out there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and and you know, just to encourage people. So I did get that possession charge, but I had first offenders because I had never had any others. And um, so with first offenders, I successfully completed um, all of the uh, stipulations of my probation, but. Um, that was back in 2011, and so I had just gotten uh, my records uh, expunged mm-hmm. and sealed um, about three weeks ago. So I have no records that, on there. That at must all. be a great feeling. It's amazing. It's okay. an amazing feeling. And so, yeah, that's another thing today is that the criminal justice system is starting to acknowledge that you know people with addiction don't need to be in jail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, that's 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 great. It, that's sort of my, my philosophy. You know, people talk about discipline in, in other ways with with the home, you know, whether your kids are in trouble or not. And I've always said I've never gotten a kid, even in, in schools, it's never you're never in trouble or it's going to going to have some type of punitive uh, um, situation going on. If you do something and you made a mistake and you didn't know, you know, that's an opportunity for correction and education. Now, if you're doing something and you know that you did it wrong and you and, and you receive some correction before and you continually do it, you know, that that's different. But, you know, addictions are, are sensitive issues and, and people don't know the trauma that you've been through. They don't know the situation. So, you know, it, it's high time that, that we um, change that perception. And, and like you said, it's changing. I'm so glad that I had a chance to have you on the show today, Deborah. And for our listeners, again, this is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about 
everything from A to Z. And today's discussion has been about substance abuse and changes in life. Uh, reach out to us. We'd love to have you folks on the show as guests or to submit questions for our guests and, and follow up sessions. You can reach us at let's chew the gum at gmail.com. Look for us on all social media platforms, wherever podcasts can be heard. We appreciate you joining us. And Deborah, before we go, I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's a last call to action or last thing you'd like to share with our guests, I want to leave that open for you right now. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you um, allowing me to share um, my experience, strength and hope um, a bit. But I, I want everybody to know that whatever you're going through is temporary. Okay, everything changes, everything changes. And, you know, look at this time of quarantine or if you're on the front lines, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt, number one. Number two, look at it as an opportunity for whatever it is that you have always wanted to do if you're staying home. Now is the time for you to put your foot forward and to take action on it because you may never have this opportunity again. And um, so with that being said, I, I hope and pray that everybody stays safe and healthy. And um, thank you so much for being here and listening. Indeed. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you for choosing life. Thank you to our audience members for listening in. Please get this information out to anyone that you know uh, is in need of help. And if you have uh, questions or comments, follow ups, uh, email us at the show and we'll be sure to forward them to Deborah. This has been Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. And as always, we have, have something for your mind. Mind.